Lights out. Everybody. supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly, so if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. people welcome to halloween 2019 (laughs) (laughs) i don't know your witch might be better than mine so kelly it is the best day of the year absolutely are you looking forward to handing out goodies to the little uh pumpkins running around i can't wait to be handing out candy to all the little goblins and spookies Last year, all of the houses around our house were still being built. So we only got, what was it, like six or seven kids that came and they were all in the same group. And it was like nine o'clock at night. They were the neighbors, I don't know, friends of his or something. Well, they were all teenagers and they were so sweet. They were so shocked that you gave them all that candy, but they were very polite and thankful and everything. So in regards to that, it was very cool. But we were pretty let down. However, our neighborhood at both the entrance and exit had a bunch of new construction. So a lot of kids probably thought that there weren't a lot of homes to treat at. The the houses are built around us now and we have kids who live around us. So we're expecting at least a moderate crowd. So our fog and strobe lights and makeup and everything will be put to good use this year. They're going to be here because I'm standing out on the corner with, you know, my little airline, you know, the traffic controller Bringing them lights, in. like, you know, with the, the lighted flashlight things and going this way, this way, go this way. <laughs> well, Kelly, we're enjoying some libations while we're recording. What are you drinking? <laughs> well, I sound like I've already had more. Have you I've had, had a few? Little, I've had a little sip. I am enjoying Southern Tier Brewing Company's Citrus Punch, although my favorite is the Samoa This. It tastes like a Girl Scout Samoa cookie, and it's got some coffee hints. <laughs> well, I'm drinking something that is particular to this season, and I love the name. It's called Pumpkin Stiltskin, and it's a pumpkin ale, and it has the creepiest artwork on it, would you say? It's like a scarecrow something. It's a carved pumpkin head that has glowing eyes and a pitchfork. Yeah, it looks like the Pumpkin King from Nightmare Before Christmas in the scarecrow form. 
Exactly. And it's by Big Top Brewing Company out of Sarasota, Florida. And for people who don't know, that's like the headquarters for the circus and stuff. If you want to go to the circus museum, that's where it's at. So very cool. And it says on the can, prepare for a pumpkin ale that is hauntingly good. Every year, Pumpkin Stiltskin rises from the fields and sacrifices his kin to provide the flavors of baked pumpkin, cinnamon, and brown sugar to all those that are willing. Others may try, but none succeed better at capturing the flavor of fresh-made pumpkin pie just like Grandma's. Let Pumpkin Stiltskin destroy all others and defy what you thought possible in beer. So basically, this guy sacrifices his family. To I was going to say, for, for grandma's pumpkin pie, if it's related to the way that the label <laughs> shows it, she's a little bit murderous. You may have a little bit of arsenic in your pie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, grandma. <laughs> Don't eat grandma's pumpkin pie. Don't disrespect grandma. So, Kelly, I thought it would be fun every single year for the Halloween special, we always read some of the listeners' own haunting tales of things that have happened to them. So we'll be doing that towards the end of the show. And I'm also going to be joined by an author named Kevin Killen, who wrote a book called Ghosts and Me, and he's going to talk about some of the experiences that he's had. But I always like to cover a little bit of history in regards to Halloween. And in the other Halloween specials, we've talked about all the different things that are part of Halloween, like trick-or-treating, costumes, cauldrons, you name it, the history of Halloween. We've covered it all. So I was like, well, what could we do that would be kind of fun this year? And I thought talking a little bit about the history of paranormal television would be kind of cool. Definitely. Now, this is going to be particular to the United States because it's particular to us. So forgive me to those of you who are international listeners. We really won't be talking about the paranormal television from where you come from. Kelly, my love for Halloween and creepy stuff comes from the stuff I watched on television when I was a kid. I cut my teeth on reruns of The Twilight Zone. Heck yeah. And watching the classic Universal monster movies. Did you watch any of those when you were a kid? Oh, of course. That's why I said, heck yeah, <laughs> I'm all about it. What was your favorite Universal monster movie? It's so hard to pick a favorite. The pressure of a favorite. I would say probably Frankenstein. Ding, da, da, ding, ding, ding. Dracula was the first one that I ever saw as a kid. But Frankenstein, yep, that's where my heart is. Dracula kind of stressed me out a little bit. <laughs> a child was it because he loved the children of the night yeah possibly it just it just creeped me out a little bit too much i was all about critters and not necessarily undead things but you know for frankenstein it's more like a caretaker kind of feeling that i had towards he was completely misunderstood wasn't he exactly poor guy needed a little bit of care a little bit of attention Exactly. He he wasn't there to actually hurt people on purpose. He really didn't know Suck his own my strength. Neck. No, he wasn't about that. No, he wasn't about trying to bring you in underneath his cloak and get you. But you know what got me checking out the weird books from the library were the paranormal-based television shows, and I continue to binge on them as an adult, as I know you do as well, because we do it together. Absolutely. So I thought it would be fun to do a little overview, and as I say when I'm talking about an overview, this clearly is not going to be exhaustive because there are literally hundreds of paranormal shows that have been on television. Oh my gosh, it's overwhelming. But we're going to touch on some of my favorites. And I have a feeling some of them are going to be your favorites too. Now, in the days before cable television, and I know there are a lot of you listening who know those days before cable television. (laughs) 
Get up and change the channel for me, Kelly. <laughs> Turn the dial. Before the remote. Hey, kids. Yeah, there was a time before there was even a remote to the television. Remember the rabbit ear antennas, too? Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> there wasn't really much to choose from, right? We had three main stations. You had ABC, CBS, and NBC. And then, oh, my gosh, when Fox came onto the scene. And it wasn't even, I don't think it was called Fox when it first started. I actually don't remember. I can't remember. I remember that it was. I got to watch it very often. (laughs) No, you had to have a special UHF antenna. It was the circular antenna that you'd put on the back of the TV so you could get it. And I know in Colorado it was called like KDVR or something. Yeah, I don't recall. Honestly, I didn't get to enjoy television all that much. It was more like PBS for me. And I was really excited when this showed up because they played a lot of weird stuff on it. And that's where they would have like the Twilight Zone reruns and stuff. I definitely dug into all the Twilight Zones. I was all about that. And then the Three Stooges and stuff like that. <laughs> hey, the Three Stooges are a little <laughs> bit creepy too well, sometimes. Not Halloween theme, but old television wise. Yeah. I liked anything that was a little bit different. And I remember that they had, I mean, Buck Rogers was on there, I think. Oh, yeah. And they had some really good stuff. There was a show that was on that was clearly before our time. It was called One Step Beyond. I've never seen it. Have you ever heard of that? No, actually, I haven't. This one came out on ABC, and it aired from 1959 to 1961. If we have any listeners that watched One Step Beyond, I'd love to hear from you. They had 96 episodes. Oh, wow. And some of the things that they covered were the assassination of Lincoln the sinking of the Titanic, and the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. Next up is probably the one that I hear the most from people when I ask them, what got you started in paranormal? What was that thing that got you interested in this and looking at the weird stuff and checking out those weird books? What is the standard answer for most people, Kelly? (laughs) Well, for myself, it would be in search of. And it totally for me too. Anytime somebody asks me, I'm like in search of. I remember watching this as a kid. I watched it with my mom. I don't know if she kind of clued in that maybe this is kind of weird for the kids, but I'm so (laughs) glad that it was okay to watch because I loved it. It's funny. I would watch it and my parents would kind of walk through the room and be like, okay. What are you watching, Kelly? But they never told me that I couldn't watch it. It was just something that I enjoyed. This was originally released on April 17th, 1977, and it broadcasts weekly from 1977 to 1982. The name and idea about covering mysteries and history and weird phenomenon came from three one-hour TV documentaries. So this is how it started. There was In Search of Ancient Astronauts, in 1973, which I believe Ancient Aliens is probably based a little bit on that. Yeah, pretty much. I think so. In Search of Ancient Mysteries, which broadcast in 1975 and The Outer Space Connection in 1975 as well. Now, these three precursors to In Search of were actually narrated by the Twilight Zone's Rod Serling. Well, one of my favorites, definitely. He was initially the person who was set to host In Search of. Do you know why he didn't host it i do not because he passed away oh (laughs) little little unfortunate there but you know he was replaced by leonard nimoy and i think leonard nimoy did a great job definitely yeah he added a real creep factor i think with his narration and the cadence it was just perfect topics that were covered included the loch ness monster so this is our first taste of a lot of this stuff right 
Bigfoot, the disappearance of Amelia Earhart, D.B. Cooper, Jack the Ripper, UFOs, Atlantis, Dracula, psychics, ghosts, Stonehenge. And I remember a lot of Egyptian stuff like pyramids and mummies. Those are the things when I think of In Search of that comes to my mind all the time. Absolutely. There were six spinoff books, too. And the show has been revived twice. First in 2002 with Mitch Pileggi. And I'm not sure if I even said that right. Hosting it. I never saw any of those. And then again in 2018, Zachary Quinto has been hosting it. And I believe it's been renewed for a second season. I haven't seen the first season yet. And the interesting thing about Quinto being in here is that he actually plays Spock in the new Star Trek movies. That's so right. Leonard Nimoy was the original Spock, and this is the new Spock. And so it's kind of fun to have him hosting Handing in search down of. the torch. Exactly. So you and I need to uh, sit down and binge that most recent. Absolutely. In, in all of. of our spare time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. The next show that really hit home for me when it came to weird stuff and that I hear a lot of people talk about is Unsolved Mysteries. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a thing of beauty that just keeps on giving. As a matter of fact, before we signed up for Sling TV, we uh, got Pluto TV on our I don't know. It's just like an over-the-air... TV or... Yeah. It's <laughs> our, just, our pseudo cable. Yeah. <laughs> it's some weird channel that just comes with some of that stuff that you get for free. And they actually have a channel that's dedicated to unsolved mysteries. I love this so much as a kid. And I remember the family sitting in the family room watching this together. Robert Stack, who narrated the first seasons, was amazing. He had the perfect cadence and creep to his voice. What do you think? Absolutely. And actually, <laughs> sadly, I was pretty much watching that by myself, but I was huge on Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> what was wrong with your parents? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I was an only child and they just didn't get it. And they were working. I don't know. They just weren't. They just it. let you be your yeah, own little weirdo. I was just, yeah, I was my own little weirdo watching all the crazy shows and Alfred Hitchcock and, and stuff like that. So. <laughs> Well, the series was created by John Cosgrove and Terry Dunn Muir, and like In Search Of, it started as a series of specials in 1987 with Raymond Burr, Carl Malden, and Robert Stack narrating and hosting. The first episode aired on October 5th, 1988 on NBC. It ran there for nine seasons, and then CBS picked it up, adding Virginia Madsen as a co-host the following season, and that would be season 11. And if you haven't caught her on the Imagine Life podcast, you are really missing out. It's a really cool podcast. I've really been enjoying it. Have you listened to it at all? Yeah, no, not yet. But I don't have as much podcast free time anymore with the job that I hold. So it's something that's in my rotation. And I just haven't had the time to get to it yet. But I really do look forward to it. Well, we have great neighbors. Shout out to Elizabeth. And we trade podcast recommendations with each other. And she turned me on this one. Heck yeah. And it's a lot of fun because it's about somebody famous, but you don't know who it is until the end. And they tell it in the second person, which for people who don't know, that's when you say you a lot. So they'll make it like it's your life. So they're telling you what's happening in your life. And as they're going along, you try to figure out, who am I? It's really fun to try to second guess it or pre-guess it, I guess you would say, as they give you each little bit of information as to who it may be. Yeah, and I've been I've done pretty good with about a third of the way in. I've gotten most of them. There was one I didn't really know much about the guy. I'm not going to say the name because I don't want to ruin it for people, but 
I had no clue that it was him until the very end. Well, you're pretty much a rock star on details. (laughs) You say you don't have a good memory, but for details and such on people's lives and everything, you're like Webster's Dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. CBS canceled the series in 1999 because they were crazy, I guess. Lifetime revived it in 2000 and ran for 103 episodes before being canceled again in 2002, a little before Robert Stack passed away. Spike would bring it back on October 13th, 2008. What a great day. With Dennis Farina hosting, and it was mostly a repackaged kind of deal. They had repackaged segments with updates, and that ran for 175 episodes before ending in 2010. Now, I have heard that Netflix has picked up a reboot. They did that in January 2019. It's supposed to be produced by Sean Levy of Stranger Things. Oh, nice. And so I'm not sure when it's going to air, but each episode is slated to focus on a single topic or mystery. So instead of having all the different segments, it's just going to be one thing, kind of like the documentaries that I think it started with. It's going to be a TV show. Oh, that would be amazing. I hope we're able to get that. Well, we have Netflix, so we should be able to. That's okay. going to be cool. <laughs> cool. There's so many things that we can and cannot get. So I know. It's hard to keep it straight. Well, the nice thing about having all of these different things that you have to sign up for, even though it's like, well, it you know, you pay for this and then you pay for that. It's cheaper than cable and you can pick exactly what you want. But it also gets people used to the fact that you have to pay for your entertainment. So maybe that'll kind of cross over to podcasts and right. stuff too. Right, this is true. I know how hard you work and it's like, <laughs> you know, just the cup of coffee that you get once a month, just donate that. <laughs> uh, the show featured a variety of topics from disappearances to unsolved murders to conspiracy theories to ghosts to UFOs and alien abductions. The format was documentary style with reenactments and cases fell under four categories lost loves, criminal cases, paranormal matters, and unexplained alternative history. Now, the next big one to come onto the scene was sightings. Did you ever watch this? Yes. This one had a lot of great stuff, too. And what's kind of funny is I'm not really a UFO person, but when I was younger, I really was pretty into that stuff. I've kind of grown out of it. I was, too. I was like, oh, my goodness. I was always looking up at the sky. (laughs) Yeah. And what I loved to do when I was a kid, I would go and stand in my bathroom window and I would use my binoculars to look up at the stars to watch them twinkle and stuff. And I'm like, clearly. I couldn't see much, but I thought it was really cool. (laughs) The television show Sightings launched on October 17th, 1991. There's kind of a running theme here. They all launch in October. Well, duh. (laughs) It ran for 120 episodes on the Fox network. As was the case with In Search Of, this started as specials. There was the UFO report, sightings, evidence, contact, abductions, cover-up. This was followed by Ghost Report, Sightings, Hauntings, Contact, Evidence, Investigations in February 1992, and Psychic Experiences, Precognition, Psychic Detectives, Mental Telepathy, Psychokinesis in April 1992. Linda Moulton Howe created and was supervising producer of the first special, and I'm sure for those of you that are UFO kind of people, especially if you're into a lot of the cow mutilations, the cattle mutilations that went on, Linda is an expert in that. She's on Coast to Coast, I don't know, at least once a month, I think. She's always on there, it seems like. Ratings were high, and the concept went into weekly production under several production companies with Henry Winkler, the Fonz, as an executive producer. Hey. (laughs) And, And Tim White as host. 
The format was like an investigative news format. Episodes were 30 minutes long and aired on Friday nights. It went into syndication in 1994 and was extended to an hour format, and the Sci-Fi Channel picked it up in 1996. The program would be canceled in 1997, but reruns ran through 2003. Looking at a list of topics, they really did cover everything on this show. Now, the next thing I remember watching was Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction. Did you ever watch this? I did here and there, but it wasn't something that I really had the time to get into as much as I would have liked. I wasn't as big of a fan of this one, but it had some interesting stories with it. It presented some bizarre stories, and you had to decide which ones were real and which ones were fake. And so that's why it's called fact or fiction. So they would have like, I think they had four different stories they would tell. And then they'd be like, is it fact or is it fiction? And then at the end, they would tell you which ones were real and which ones were fake. It premiered May 25th, 1997 and ran until September 2002. The show was created by Lynn Lehman and produced by Dick Clark and the Fox Network and initially hosted by James Brolin. Jonathan Frakes took over in the second season. Don LaFontaine narrated the first three seasons and Campbell Lane narrated the fourth and final season. There were 45 episodes with 225 segments, many of which were true, even though the stories defied logic. I think I'd read that about 132 of those segments were true. Yeah, it's really surprising considering some of the stuff that they covered, that that many of them were true. We go a a couple years later, we're kind of have this uh, desert. There's really nothing going on. And then the most amazing thing came onto the scene. And I remember it like it was yesterday. My sister and I had started a woodworking business together. And we started sitting down and watching the show together. We'd take a break from, I'd be painting, she'd be cutting stuff out with her scroll saw, and we'd sit down to watch this. And we were just mesmerized. Absolutely. And of course, exactly what you're talking about. You all know what I'm talking about (laughs) ghost hunters. This was an oasis in the desert. These guys were doing the Ghostbusters thing only for real. And nobody had ever seen anything like it. I mean, we'd had Hans Holzer, we'd had Ed and Lorraine Warren, but they didn't have programs that were on TV every single week that were taking us into these haunted locations, whether it was a house or a historic place, and just using equipment to figure out, is there something here? And a lot of the time, it seemed like they were at least getting one or two pieces of evidence. My oldest son and I just never missed an episode. Jared and I just were <laughs> glued to the TV and just waiting for the next one. It was so amazing. The show premiered on the Sci-Fi Channel on October 6, 2004. There we go with October again. With Jason Hawes and Grant Wilson heading up a paranormal investigation team. Jason and Grant had been doing investigations of homes on their free time after working as plumbers for Roto-Rooter. This was incorporated into the show. They'd founded the Atlantic Paranormal Society, or as we know it, TAPS, which still does investigations with a team of member groups all over the world. The show tried to debunk paranormal claims and come up with reasonable explanations. They introduced the world to a lot of equipment, from EMF detectors to digital video cameras to thermal cameras to digital recorders. The team would then review all the evidence and report back to the location's owner about what evidence was found. And I think basically that was training for all of us to be investigators today. Oh, yes, absolutely. The show ended in 2016 after 11 seasons. I can't remember what season Grant left, but he left after a few of the seasons. 
I was definitely sorry to see him go because he was one of my favorites. Yeah, mine too. The show relaunched here in 2019 with Grant as the head investigator on A&E. Jason started his own show called Ghost Nation on Travel Channel. The new Ghost Hunters sucks, period, in my opinion. Oh, well, yeah, (laughs) I mean, it pretty much does. I'm sorry. I love Grant, and I loved Ghost Hunters. I do, too. What have they done to it? I don't know. It makes me so sad. Here's the problem, and here's what producers don't understand. It's called chemistry. You have to have chemistry in a group. You can't take a bunch of people that don't really know each other, haven't worked together for a long period of time, don't have a lot of trust in each other, and throw them together into these situations to do investigations and then expect something great to come from that. I have absolutely no connection to this group at all. I know. I don't either. And it just makes me sad. Yeah, they try to do like the personal things like before and after they meet for coffee and are discussing the cases. And then they'll be like playing games after the investigation. And I frankly, I don't care. (laughs) I'm just sitting there going, I don't feel like it just feels so forced. And I always laugh, Kelly, when I see this thing about lead investigators and then these other investigators. I'm like, what makes you a lead investigator? What, you have more experience? Or I I just, I don't get it. It's like these titles that people give themselves. Yeah, everybody should be on the same team. Now, I have to say, I've seen a couple of the Ghost Nation episodes, and I really do enjoy that. I have too. And what you've got is basically your core Ghost Hunters team on a different channel with a different show. And I just feel like they've gone back to their roots. Like they really want to help people. Yeah, I I feel the same. I wish that everybody could have gotten back together. And I just wish everyone could have given us a revamp of what we experienced originally with them, with all the same team members. Absolutely. I mean, if Grant's going to come back, let's bring Jason back too and get everybody together. I mean, they said that it's cool with everybody, but there's obviously some kind of a split there that they didn't bring them all back together. Right. Ghost Hunters spun off Ghost Hunters International, Ghost Hunters Academy, and Kindred Spirits. There are claims that things have been faked. It's possible. But after doing my own investigations and Kelly, you joining me, I think these guys were mostly the real deal. Yeah, I think so, too. They didn't really... Dude, run! (laughs) (laughs) I will never forget that episode. I had to throw that in. (laughs) But I mean, I really feel like a lot of the stuff that they got is pretty legit. I mean, they didn't have some really crazy over-the-top stuff. It was the kind of stuff we capture. An EVP here, maybe a weird picture there, some kind of spirit box communication. It didn't feel like it was all over-the-top produced just for television. The next show that I watched was called Paranormal State. Did you ever watch this one? I did. This started in December 2007 with Ryan Buell, leading a team of investigators under a group he founded at Pennsylvania State University. That's why it was called Paranormal State, because it was basically underneath a university. This show was proven to have lots of faked evidence and weird editing that could have been... Tweaked? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) the (laughs) the reason why I could tell it was faked is I'd be like, wait a minute, that guy's wearing a different shirt than what he had just like two minutes ago. Right. So you could see this was edited from a different day. There was this one show I was watching that they had like a Coke can or something in the middle of the bed and all of a sudden you see it go flying, but you can't see something off screen that might have made it go flying. So it just was, 
I don't know. I think there was a lot of fake stuff on this show. Yeah, it's kind of tough when you feel like there's a lot of different ways to debunk something when you're watching it and just to actually buy into it. But this was an interesting show that spawned a lot of great people from it, namely Chip Coffee. Of course. Who with six degrees of separation, Kelly, I guess you could kind of say we <laughs> almost were we were actually in the same vicinity as him. We were almost besties. I mean, we could have <laughs> almost met him. He literally was in, of all places, Georgia on the same night we were doing the ghost tour after us. So he was like in that vicinity. We could have almost reached out and touched him. It was almost like, okay, hurry up and wrap it up. We got to get back and see Chip. <laughs> and then the Ghost Brothers were going to be there, what, the next week? Either the or next, next week night? or the weekend after that or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there was Chip Coffee. There was Katrina Weedman. And she went on to do uh, with Nick Groff. What was it called? Uh, I'm sorry. I cannot remember. But she did the show with him. And then she also just did Portals of Hell with. Ozzy Osbourne's son, Jack. Jack Osbourne. Osbourne. And then there's Michelle Belanger, who apparently is a vampire, psychic vampire. At least it spawned those people from it. And the show ran for four seasons. And then, of course, we have Ghost Adventures. This has been one of the longest running ghost shows out there. I've watched it sporadically, and I don't think it's any mystery how I feel about Zach Baggins how Kelly feels about Zach Baggins <laughs> and his investigation techniques and the way he crafts the stories that he tells. The show premiered on October. Hmm, there's that month again, 17th, 2008. Ghost Adventures began as a documentary that was filmed in 2004. It is run for a mind-numbing 18 seasons, Kelly. Good grief. With 210 episodes and lots of specials. I mean, it's entertaining. <laughs> it is. And while ghost hunters had their lights out routine, so they always, before they did an investigation, they'd go lights out, which I've never understood because ghosts show up whether you have the lights on or not. Right. Ghost Adventures does the locked in thing. I don't know why they do that either. I guess so they can't run out if they get scared. Dude, run. <laughs> <laughs> there have been a variety of team members, but the two constants have been Zach Baggins and Aaron Goodwin. Other members have been Nick Groff, who was there from seasons one to ten, Billy Tolley, and Jay Wosley. They do a little bit of the history, which can be a little loose with the facts, and then they use equipment to gather evidence. The history <laughs> tends to get mm, skewed. Okay, let me to put fit, it to fit their agenda. Agenda. Yeah. <laughs> Let me put it this way. I'm glad they at least do look at the history because, right. as people know, I feel that's the most important thing. There's a lot of stuff out there in the podcast world, which I would call fast food. Yeah, definitely. But you need your meat and potatoes. And Absolutely. at least Ghost Adventures tries to give you some meat and potatoes. So I do commend them for that. I just wish they do a little bit more research to make sure or at least didn't try to twist the history to fit the way they want the outcome to be. Right. They um, seem to craft their own storylines. We talked about this when we did our episode on the McPike Mansion. You and, and I, Squirrel Cage. You and I just watched <laughs> the Squirrel Cage episode they did. And yeah, it was a lot different than our experiences investigating it. And they were actually there, what, a month before us? It might have been too. Jessica Garcia, I know, was there. She ran out there to see, you know, when they were filming and just to see if they came out. And you know what? The whole... <laughs> 
locking in. I'm sorry. I think that's to create the drama. They're not really locked in. They've got their whole crew outside ready to pop them out at any time they want. I think to me, if they were in there two months before us, we were in there in September and it was hotter than hell, which means they would have been in there in July, end of June, locked in. The scariest part of that is how hot would that have been? Because at least we could go outside and get some air. Well, and maybe it was maybe it was more time than that because they were wearing like long sleeves and stuff. Mm. And I was just <laughs> remembering how sweltering it was. So I, you know, maybe it was. They do catch some compelling evidence, I do have to say. And as you said, Kelly, they're definitely entertaining. Absolutely. And that's the main thing with a lot of these ghost programs. That's what they're supposed to be. That's what I'm supposed to be entertaining. So, you know, you take everything with a grain of salt. For sure. As my oldest was getting older, I mean, it was all entertainment purposes. When we got to a point where they would actually have these paranormal shows throughout the year, we were like, hot diggity dog. (laughs) But we knew, you know, it was primarily for entertainment purposes. And the cool thing about them having the longevity that they've had is that you know you've always got something to watch. Absolutely. And I will say, most shows don't really creep me out. There's a few times that I've watched Ghost Adventures, and I've been thoroughly creeped out at the end. Oh, yeah, that's true. Now, there are many shows covering weird stories and mysteries. It would take forever to name them all. But I thought I would share a few of my favorites. These would include Mysteries at the Museum, Destination Truth and Expedition Unknown. Pretty much anything Josh Gates does, I'm in. I love that guy. Do you like him? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) His backstory is awesome. I don't know. Have you ever heard him interviewed? I have. Uh, Kindred Spirits. Oh, heck yeah. That that was the best thing to spawn off of Ghost Hunters. Absolutely adore Amy and Adam. I like that their main premise is to try to help people. Absolutely. Dead Files, you and I have been binging that a lot lately. (laughs) Yes. And I I don't know. I have to believe that Amy doesn't know anything before, which makes her an amazing psychic. But even if she does know some of the stuff, it's a lot of fun to watch. It's definitely entertaining. You've got scariest places on Earth, most terrifying places on Earth. And they've covered quite a few. I watched one the other day that covered Villisca and Waverly Hills in the same episode. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool because I've been to both those places. So I got to see the insides again. And celebrity ghost stories. I've always found that fascinating because a lot of celebrities don't want to talk about weird stuff. And these guys are being brave and telling people their weird stories. That's true. There's a lot of stigma associated with that. I heard that it's supposed to be coming back or at least it's coming back as something else. But it's very similar. Do you have any favorites, Kelly? Just pretty much everything that we watch. And I do have to say that in terms of what we've been doing with investigations, I love after having been to a location, being able to look back and call up episodes that other shows have done on that and just to see their take on it, their experience in it. All right. So that pretty much covers that. We'd love to hear from you guys. Tweet it at us, comment it at us, whatever. Email it to us. Let us know what are your favorite paranormal programs out there. Kelly, I love to interact with our Losers Club that we have over at Facebook. And I thought it would be fun to find out what everybody's favorite Halloween candy is. Now, first, let me ask you, what's yours? (laughs) 
Well, let's just say that The Runaway is my favorite as well. As soon as I saw the poll and I started looking at the choices, I I mean, I was just right on board with the winner. (laughs) And that was Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Is there any contest for candy that that won't win? You got your chocolate on my peanut butter. <laughs> and you know what I really love? You're supposed love? to say you got your peanut butter on my chocolate. Okay, you got your <laughs> peanut butter in my chocolate. You know, the other thing that I really love about Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, though, is they have some of the best Halloween commercials. They do. They're so much fun. Uh, they really get into it. And most of the other ones don't. Occasionally, Kit Kat will throw in a good one, too. True. I have to say, Kit Kat has always been one of my favorites. And when I was at college, my parents would send them to me in a care package all the time. So I have great memories around that. But Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are my number one, too. I could sit and eat a whole bag, or at least I used to be able to sit and eat a whole bag. If I did that now, I'd probably be in the bathroom throwing up and things like that. But Well, you can give it a good run for the money. (laughs) (laughs) Now, our number two in the poll that we had up There was actually a tie between Snickers and Heath Bars, which I found surprising. Heath Bars as a number two. Can you imagine? No, I can because I love Heath Bars. Oh, okay. (laughs) I would much rather eat a Heath Bar than a Snickers. I love Heath Bars. I would would go (laughs) Snickers before Heath Bar, but I really, I enjoy Heath Bars too. But now uh, with the way my my teeth are, I can't can't eat Heath (laughs) Bars anymore. Yeah, about the time you hit 45, you should probably not eat Heath Bars anymore. Well, I haven't had one for years, so, you know, probably I should stick with the Reese's. Next was another one of my absolute favorites, Three Musketeers. Well, yeah, duh. That's pretty much what... doesn't like nougat? (laughs) Yeah, and that's pretty much what I stick with now because my teeth can take it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice and soft to gum away. And then we had a tie between M&M's and Tootsie Rolls. Wow, that's shocking. I mean, I... (laughs) A lot of people are not into Tootsie Rolls, but I actually enjoy them. And then I'm surprised that they tied with M&M's. Oh, I've always liked Tootsie Rolls. I think they're great. I, I, I have no idea what they're made out of. But they taste good. Chewy stuff. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't. I probably don't want to know. Chewy stuff that doesn't quite taste like chocolate. Yeah, I probably don't want to know what they're made out of, but they taste Mis- good. Like mystery meat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a mystery chocolate. Now, everything else got one vote. Circus peanuts. Um, okay. Okay, I know Adam Vanderyacht. This is the one that he went for. Oh, Adam, uh, we love you. But yeah, yeah, we do. We'll, we'll give we'll them pat, all to you. We'll pat him on the head. You know, if we were trading our Halloween candy, you I'll would have you all those. All of mine. <laughs> Kelly, uh, I did this once before. I believe Patrick Keller from the Big Seance podcast joined me on a Halloween episode. Was it the first or second one? And his favorite were those Mary Janes. Those are the mysterious orange and black wrapper candies. Oh, yeah. I actually kind of recall receiving them. Like kind of it, it was it like a saltwater taffy kind of wrapper? Yes, it had no labeling on it. And it was right. some kind of a peanut butter concoction. Yeah, I, don't know. I don't think it was peanut butter. <laughs> I don't know what it was. That, that was the stuff. But we that, love you, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> that was the stuff that my sister and I wouldn't trade with each other because we weren't about to eat it. So it was just like it was the stuff that sat in the bottom of your pumpkin bucket or your months. pillowcase or whatever bag you collected your candy and it just sat there until it was rock hard because you weren't going to eat it, even <laughs> if you were like desperate for candy and there was nothing left. Oh, poor Patrick. <laughs> I'm sure there's listeners who like it too that are going, Diane, you're evil. <laughs> 
next we had candy pumpkins, which I have to say I love as much as candy corn. And yes, I love candy corn. We have some in the pantry. We do. <laughs> we have some candy pumpkins. And as a matter of fact, we ate those on our last road trip. We did. It's a good quick shot of sugar to just amp you up for the drive of another 14 hours. <laughs> and then Karen Wickiam put in the Wonder Bar. I don't think I've ever had one of those. I haven't. I don't even know what that I is. I don't know what it is. We'll have to try it maybe because we wonder what a Wonder Bar is. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Almond Joy was also on here. I like, um, is, is it mouse? Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes, Sometimes you, you don't. don't. So Almond Joy has the nuts. Mounds doesn't. Mounds doesn't. But you would think that Mounds. I don't. I, I like think, them both I because I like would. coconut. I love coconut. So I and it's dark chocolate. Mounds. Almonds make my throat itch. So. <laughs> okay, Kelly. Well, I have an allergy. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I'm like a weirdo. <laughs> the more you know. And then I added this one and I was the only one that went for it. But if it wasn't for my teeth and caramel not getting together nicely, Milky Way. Milky Way is hands above Snickers. Oh. You don't need the nuts. I mean, how in the world Milky Way did Milky Way, like, it only got one vote from me. Milky Way would probably, for me, come in second to Reese's because it's got the caramel and the nougat. So it's like a step above Three Musketeers. <laughs> We're waxing on way too much about candy. Now yes, I we need, are. Like, I need some sugar. <laughs> okay, so what are your guys' favorite Halloween candy? We want to hear about that too. Tweet it at us. Message it to us. Comment it to us. We want to know. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Then I also created another poll, and this is going to deal with horror movies. And for our Losers Club, you guys just got a bonus cast about horror movie themes. Wasn't that cool? <laughs> so I asked people, I wanted to put together a top 10 favorite horror movies from our Losers Club. So I said, think of your top three and then either add them to the list or check them off if they are here, because I put my three top ones on here. So I'll go ahead and say what my top three are. I wonder if I should do it in the order from like three to one. So my number three is the original Halloween. My number two would be Aliens. And my number one horror movie is Night of the Living Dead. Kelly, do you have like a favorite horror movie? For me, it's all the Halloween movies. <laughs> that's cool. Hey, if that's what does it for you, that's great. My mind is blown with what our number one ended up being. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> horror movies. What? <laughs> yeah. So I, I asked about horror movies. But, you know, I guess this makes sense, Kelly, when you think about our Spooktacular crew, our Losers Club, Halloween lovers that we all are. <laughs> Hocus Pocus was the number one <laughs> horror movie from us. <laughs> I think a lot of people... <laughs> I, it's a fantastic movie. I love the movie. But in terms of horror, I think, <laughs> I think honestly, a lot of people just looked at the poll and saw your favorite Halloween movie, not I, necessarily horror. I'm wondering if that's the case. Because I mean, I was watching this poll and I'm going, wait a minute, how in the world is Hocus Pocus on here? And then I'm like, and it's winning. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it'd be, you know, I'd said Halloween. All the Halloween movies, but like Freddy movies, 
I don't. I mean, know. I guess there's some scares in there, so it it could be considered. I mean, what I, else are you going to put it under? I guess it would be a horror movie. Okay. <laughs> now number two makes a lot more sense: The Conjuring. Oh yes, absolutely. That's a great one. Really enjoyed it. Great acting. It's a great story. I don't know how much truth there is to it. Right. I mean, for me, it's not like when I think of a favorite, it, it's like one of the classics. It's like for your Christmas movies, it would be the Christmas story. Yeah, I could watch the Christmas story. As a matter of fact, I do when it does the 24 hour marathon. If it wasn't a horror selection. I would probably choose and I'm going to probably get poo pooed for this, but I would choose Nightmare Before Christmas. That one's a good one. That, that could be horrifying. Love I, I love running to the, the soundtrack. I mean, it's just a favorite. I can sing the whole series of lyrics for all the songs. It's great. And of course, that was definitely included in my bonus cast because I love, adore yes. the theme music. Next up, we have Dracula, the original. Absolutely love that movie. This is what I cut my teeth on. I remember your fangs. Yeah. Cut your fangs. You're on. right. Cut my fangs <laughs> on. I knew you were. <laughs> I knew you were a bloodsucker. <laughs> God, I don't know. I think I was, was I 10? And I remember sitting on my grandparents' couch in California and they called their couch a Davenport, Kelly. Oh, my goodness. My grandmother would tell me to go sit out on the Davenport, and I had no idea what she was talking go about. Go sit on the what? Yeah, she'd be like, sit on the Davenport, and I'd be like, is that like the porch, patio? What is that? <laughs> Too funny. I finally figured out that it was the couch, and this black and white movie came on, and I was absolutely mesmerized by Bela Lugosi. Oh, my God. And I just was totally in love with classic movie monsters from that point forward until this day. I, I mean, it definitely made me a fan, but it creeped me out and kind of stressed me out a little bit. <laughs> it was a lot for me. Next, the Losers Club picked Aliens. Awesome movie. Very, very good. The monster in this is innovative. And what was great about it is obviously Alien had the alien in that to begin with. But Aliens has that S on the end, which means there was a whole bunch of them. Which oh was even gosh, freakier. It so creepy. Frankenstein the original is next. Love it. Adore Whoa. it. He's my favorite monster. Frankenstein's monster. So what's there not to love about this? The Others. This is a classic ghost story movie. Wonderfully written. Such a great twist at the end. Have you seen it? I have seen it. That is really creepy, especially being a parent. Oh my goodness. I can't imagine. Halloween the original. This came in next, which, of course, is in my top three. So that's a great movie. Got it all started. John Carpenter had no idea what he was starting. The music, there's no better theme out there. I absolutely love it. The minute I listen to that, I am in the mood for Halloween. Absolutely. It's such a classic. I mean, just anytime you, you're setting up your haunted house in the front yard, put that on, you're good to go. <laughs> and I can guarantee you tonight... We will have that blaring over some speakers. Oh, yes, we will. Next, we have The Shining, which I watched again the other day. Yeah, that that's always a good one. That's like another go-to. And here we have a classic from the 80s, wonderful vampire movie, The Lost Boys. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I Takes mean, me back to high school. <laughs> Absolutely. Crushing on Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> he just apologized. I saw something about how he apologized for, for the, mullet. the mullet. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I was like, oh, my God. Oh He's my like, God. I'm sorry. I started the mullet thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
The Haunting of Hill House was next. Now, I'm I'm not sure if this is the movie or if this was the series, but I'm thinking it's the movie The Haunting of Hill House. Then we have Rebecca, which I have not seen. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one, but I'm interested. Then my favorite, and it only got two votes. I mean, hello, Night of the Living Dead? What? It only got two votes? I mean, this is classic. Come on. (laughs) What in the world? (laughs) And The Exorcist got two votes. No way. This is a movie it took me forever to watch because I was so afraid. And then I think I was 16 or 17 when I watched it, and I had nightmares. Oh, no. You know, what's funny is, I mean, granted, I watched Bella Lugosi, you know, as Dracula prior to Exorcist, but I, I was much more freaked out by him in Dracula than I was with Exorcist. I mean, I was still freaked out by Exorcist, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And I had to turn my head when she's like vomiting green oatmeal <laughs> all over everything. No, it was pea soup, pea soup. Pea soup. I think it was thicker. I think it was green oatmeal but that's another story i have some experience with green oatmeal (laughs) i don't we don't want to know kelly thank you that's for a later later podcast invasion of the body snatchers i'm assuming this is the original and the twist at the end classic a great movie indeed absolutely and then Monster Squad got a vote, which I had not seen this movie until we had the watch party that we did in the Spectacular Crew. It's another kind of classic movie, I would have to say. I really enjoyed it. It was great. The, it's a bunch of kids who basically are the Monster Squad. So what are your guys' favorite horror movies? Want to hear from you about that too? Are you going to watch anything this evening? I remember one of my favorite things to do when I lived back in Colorado and my sister was living there. We'd get together, we'd rent a bunch of horror movies, we'd give candy out to the trick-or-treaters while we were binging horror movies, and we'd do it all night, and I'd stay overnight at her house. So much fun. We were all about setting up the haunted house and (laughs) scaring kids, mainly the older kids. We were always nice with the little ones, but it was a pizza night, candy night, hanging out, all good times. Sounds like a good time. I mean, I... I'd love it. Someday, maybe we'll set up our own little haunted house around here, too. Oh, I've got so many ideas. (laughs) (laughs) If you guys have not seen our front yard, we've put up pictures on Instagram, and we've put up some videos up in the Spooktacular crew. We just love Halloween and decorating for it. It's so much fun, and we're so thankful that we've got some neighbors around us that are all into decorating, too, so that makes it so much more fun as well. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what our neighbors do when we really get it going, because they've all been coming over and taking pictures. Oh, I know! And I'm like, oh, you have (laughs) no idea. When Halloween starts, we got the music, the strobe lights, the fog. You guys are going to be like, oh, my God. (laughs) It's going to be fun, that's for sure. (laughs) All right, now we are joined by Kevin Killen to share his paranormal experiences that he detailed in his book, Ghosts and Me, which you can find on Amazon.com. Well, I'm very excited to be joined by Kevin Killen. He has written the book Ghosts and Me, which talks about the past three decades of paranormal activity in his life. He's going to share a little bit about that with us. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing well, Diane. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, one of the things that I like to talk to everybody about when I start interviewing them is what got you interested in the paranormal? And usually it's an experience. In your case, I already know that's what's going on here. Why don't you go ahead and share the first thing that ever happened to you? I was about five years old. I lived in Evanston, Illinois at the time. 
And my father uh, was a journalist, and he often went out of town to cover stories. In this particular evening, he and my brothers uh, went to St. Louis to cover, I think, a basketball tournament. So it was just me and my mother. Uh, and we were downstairs eating dinner, and it was a very old house. It was turn of the century, 1900, big rambling brick thing. And we distinctly heard footsteps above us. And I turned to her, and she remembered saying, Who, who's upstairs, or who's that walking? And my mother told me, oh, that's my little boy. And I was, like, puzzled because I was the only little boy that I knew of in the house. Uh-huh. Uh, so she basically told me later that she did that because she was freaked out. She thought somebody broke in. <laughs> oh, so wow. I think there was this thing, footsteps on a wooden floor uh, as if somebody was walking Pat, like walking up and down the hallway and that was like my first paranormal experience and I've had them ever since. Did you ask your mom what that was? Yeah, yeah, I did. I said, who's upstairs or something to that effect. But I distinctly remember I could hear him, you know, walking up there and I knew nobody else was in the house. And like I said, she said later that was the only thing she could think of because she didn't want to, she was, she was scared and I, she didn't want to scare me anymore. So. Sure. Well, you clearly discussed it later. So was there a point at where she started telling you, yeah, you heard a ghost? Not until probably I think I was in high school that she actually kind of admitted that she figured that there was, because she said that she was often creeped out in that house because it was a very old, big, rambling, brick, really big house. And it was really, you know, it was one of those things where, and, and allegedly the, the story goes that a mad, a real mad scientist actually owned it before we got there. So I don't know. It was very spooky. Very interesting. It's an exciting story nonetheless. <laughs> so at some point you decided that you wanted to try to communicate with these unseen things. When did you decide to try that out? Yes. Um, I, I believe I was in high school uh, in the mid to late 80s. And I had actually stumbled across a book at the library. Because up to this point, I, I was a uh, I would read everything and anything on the paranormal, ghosts, vampires, werewolves, whatever it was. I, I was a voracious reader, and I'd read everything. I came across this book by a gentleman. I believe he was Swedish. I'm going to butcher his name. It's, it's, it's spelled R-A-U-D-I-V-E. I think it's pronounced Radiv or Radive. I'm not really sure. But he apparently was in a forest in Sweden and just recording bird calls. And he had actually picked up voices of people in the forest. And he was like, well, what's this? You know, this is, I was out there recording birds. There was nobody out there. So he was like an early pioneer of EVP, electric voice phenomenon. So I really interested me like, wow, you know, you can capture these things. I wonder. So my first attempt was at a local churchyard and with a little Panasonic, handheld Panasonic. And it, it didn't produce any results because it was a little close to the, uh, the highway and and it was just it, it was just it didn't work so mm-hmm. i i kind of shelved that idea for for a while but for the next couple of years until i actually got back out of high school and then i decided to try it again and that's when i really got something and you told me that the evp that you captured was fairly evil sounding yes so yes did it, it say something specific or did it just growl my house growing up in, in Virginia, I had moved to Falls Church, Virginia at this point. Um, it, it was it was me, my, my mother, my father, and three brothers. So there was always people in the house. So it was like kind of like, you know, every, there's foot traffic all the time. And uh, th- there was a lot of things going on. Um, it, was, it was a very sad house. We had a lot, of, a lot of personal issues going on in the house that really, I think, contributed to a lot of these 
early hauntings that we had there. But uh, this one particular night, um, I found myself totally alone in the house for the first time, and I couldn't even remember. So I decided, you know, hey, nobody's here. Let me see if I can contact the spirit. So I, I put a you know, little Panasonic as uh, a boombox, one of those big detachable speaker double uh, cassette players. And I uh, went ahead and just, uh, and I asked the spirit, I said, if there's anybody here, will you show me? And let it run. And I went to a friend's house for about an hour and a half, came back and rewound the tape, played it, and didn't get anything until about the last two minutes where there was some drumming. It sounded like somebody was just drumming on top of the, the, the radio. Like oh, some, kind of beating on like it with their hands. Their hands and beating on top of it. Okay. First of all, it freaked me out because, again, nobody was in the house at the time. There was some bleeps and some whistles on the tape. And then, like, this voice came through and said, I have shown you ha ha. And it was like, it was, it was somebody super slow mode it down. Mm. And I about fell out of the chair because I was like, holy crap. First of all, it answered my question. And secondly, it sounded evil. Yeah. So, now, you obviously had not been warned at that point that you really don't want to investigate a place where you're living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not the best idea. So did you have other stuff that happened in this house other than just hearing the footsteps? Did you ever see anything or hear other things? No. See, the only, the only other thing that I r- recall happening is, is uh, where I, where the same place where I got the voice. Uh, it, was a, it was a fairly large room. It was a master bedroom. And we had a little crawl space in the corner. And at night, uh, yeah, I had wooden floors. So it would sound like somebody was walking around my room. Like it would sound like somebody was walking in a circle. Hmm. But I never turned over to find out what it was, but it was distinct footsteps in that room. That happened until I moved out. Wow. So you go away to college. Do you mind saying where you went to college? Oh, yes. Um, I went to Waynesburg University, which is in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania, which at the time was Waynesburg College. It's about four and a half hours north of, uh, northwest of uh, Northern Virginia. Now, did you have experiences there at the college, or was it just while you were in college you had experiences in other places? Uh, it, was, it was other places. There were things that went on at, at the college, because so the college is uh, 1849, Okay. We actually had a, have a building on campus that's uh, 1851. The weird thing is, is that I had friends that lived in dorms, and they would tell me that they had weird experiences happening. And when I would try to talk to teachers and stuff, they'd shut me down. Like, they would totally, like, be like, oh, they changed the subject or they wouldn't talk to me. I always thought that was weird because I was, like, inquiring about these things, and they just would not talk to me. Well, come to find out, last year, a, a gentleman who's from there wrote a book about other things like aliens that go on in, in that area. And he had a section on, on the college too. And he had the same experience I did like 10 years later. Hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. They shut yeah. him down too. That is interesting. Obviously you have something that backs up what happened to you and also backs up the fact that the university is not embracing anything that's going on there. That's unexplained. Right. So what other places yeah. were you checking out that you had experiences? My junior year, I lived in a in a little little house with a roommate of mine about a mile outside of campus. Everything was fine for like the first couple of weeks. He was a bartender at the local bar, so he comes in at three, four in the morning after everything goes down. So I started hearing things like the cabinets opening and closing. I'd hear the front door open, think it was him, and then I wouldn't hear anything. I'd hear people walking into the bathroom and think it was him, and it was never him. And I'd go check these things and be like, "What the hell?" Because they were so clear. So this happened for weeks, uh, and I, I used to go out of town a bit on the well. So one, one day, I think we found ourselves together in the house, and 
he turned to me and said, do you hear things in this house when I'm not here? And I about like was, I was so elated because, <laughs> because I was going to tell him, ask him the same thing. So we spent like the better part of an hour comparing notes about the same things we hear because we heard the same things when we, neither one of us were there. Interesting. So it makes you feel like you weren't just hearing things. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was I, I felt vindicated actually because it was definitely heard the same things, but we, we could never figure out what they were. So and, and I had a friend at the time that turned later on into my girlfriend who was a psychic medium. And I asked her to come in. I said, can you see what's going on around here? And she, she made contact with a spirit named George, who was an old, a former owner. And he basically just wanted to make sure we were taking care of his house. And she told me, I said, well, the best way to silence him is to talk to him and tell him, say, hey, we're taking care of your house. Everything's fine. And at that time, I didn't know that much about the paranormal, so I was kind of leery and skeptical and felt like an idiot for doing that, but I ended up doing it. When you moved on later on in your life, did you find you had spirits in other places that you've lived? Yes. Um, I moved a couple places in Pennsylvania before I came back to Virginia, and, and I've had experiences at each of those places. When I moved down to Western Virginia to take a, to work at, at a newspaper out there, we, we'd heard things such as like uh, what, what, what you hear on a battlefield. Oh. Like I heard Dixie being played one night and I heard some cannon cannons going off. And this, mind you, this is like three, four o'clock in the morning and, and nobody was doing that. So I, I'd inquire about, you know, hey, was there some sort of reenactment at that early time? And everybody was like, no, nobody does that at that, that early time. But it was so distinct because we both heard it. Me and my girlfriend both heard this Dixie being played clear as day and then the cannon booms. So we found out later that I lived near a battlefield, Fort Collier, and maybe that's what it was. It was a residual haunting from from that area. Well, it definitely helps when you have somebody who hears the same thing that you heard to back that up. So clearly there was something going on there. Not only that, but I've heard that many times when you're near a battlefield that people will hear something that sounds like a battle going on, even though there's no reenactment going on or anything like that. I'm beginning to wonder because you have a lot of haunting stuff going on around you and it's not because you're actually pursuing it. Like a paranormal investigator obviously has a lot of experiences because they're seeking it out. At this point, it doesn't seem to me like you're really trying to seek it out. So it makes people sometimes wonder if there's something haunting about you. And I know that you mentioned something about having attachments yourself. Yes, um, I I found out in, in this journey that uh, I'm an empath, and I think that's one reason that uh, these things happen to me. I, I am the catalyst for all this, and I do understand that now, but it's taken a long time and a lot of different things. But, uh, yeah, I am I am the catalyst for all this. And, and again, this is still a journey, so I'm still trying to learn and figure things out. But up to this point, I've actually found out that, yeah, being empathic is, has opened me up to a lot of this. So this is I'm basically like a battery to them. And can but, you explain um, a little bit about what it feels like to be an empath? Because you hear people who say they're clairvoyant or psychic or medium. An empath is quite different than all that. Can you kind of explain to people what that feels like? Well, I tell you, it is at times quite overwhelming. I, I never understood why, as I got progressively older, I, I could deal with a lot of people like crowds, like theaters or, or, or shopping malls, things like that. But I would always come away drained and with like major headaches and things like that. I could never understand why. So I just kind of try to push it away and think, okay, whatever. But 
as I found out later, um, that's basically what it does is I feel everyone's emotions coming into me and that zaps me of all this strength and gives me tremendous headaches. And, um, I can't be around a lot of people. A lot of people, I, I try to shut it down, but for me, it's really hard to do because it, it, it makes the, it makes the headaches worse. So I'm still learning on how to do that. I can imagine. I'm somebody who doesn't really like to be around crowds anyway, just because I'm an introvert. So I can't imagine if I was starting to absorb the energy that was coming at me, too. That would be a bit much. Out of all these experiences that you've had, is there anything that strikes you as, like, that's the most scary thing that's ever happened to me? Uh, Yes. I had a, when I was in... uh, in my, in my college town, after I graduated, um, I had a an evil attachment to me um, following a channel a channeling session, uh, and this thing um, it, it it basically uh, altered my personality. Um, I, I don't want to say I was possessed or anything like that because I don't think that's what it was, but it was just it, it just this, whatever this thing was came through the portal that we had opened up during a channeling session and it attached to all of us that was in that session. And with me, I noticed a huge personality shift, depression, anger, hostility. I was drinking a lot. Um, I, I pushed people away and I knew that wasn't me. And I could hear, you know, inside my head, I could hear basically my, me, my inner voice telling me, you know, that's not you, but it was, I couldn't get out of this thing. And it was getting to the point where, uh, the other people that were in the session, a lot of bad things were happening to my girlfriend had to close the portal that she opened up. Cause that was the thing is that we had actually broken the circle when this thing came through and it scared us all. So we kind of like backed away and we didn't close it. Um, and that was the scariest thing because it was to the point, like I said, I've never felt like that ever. Thank goodness. Never again. But that was really scary. And I know that attachments are real. So you said that this was like a channeling experiment that you guys were doing or experience, does that mean that you were trying to channel something or was it just you guys trying to conjure something together or was somebody else in your group channeling something? At the time, me and my girlfriend were really good friends with another couple and uh, the the other couple's boyfriend was a staunch skeptic and we were cool with that. We were fine, you know, but, you know, he used to like, you know, I don't believe in this, you know, so we, we decided one night Hey, why don't we show him what's out there? And he was like, yeah, okay, you're not going to show me anything. I don't believe in this. So that's why we did a channeling session to show, to show him what we could like come up with. And again, my girlfriend was the, the catalyst of all this because she was a psychic medium. And uh, like I said, whatever came through uh, really affected all of us. And to this day, he will not speak of it. And he didn't really um, talk to us much. They broke up shortly afterward. And he had like a, a lot of horrible things happen to him, including a uh, bad motorcycle accident that almost killed him. I think he kind of became a believer, but after that night, he really, really distanced himself from us uh, forever. So I think that was like the worst experience I've ever had. Most of them have been really positive or just kind of mundane, but that was the really that was the one that really was like, wow, you know, this, this is real. So. What made you decide to go ahead and write all these experiences down and put them in a book? Well, I've been working. This this was this is about a fifteen year odyssey for me. Um, I started writing this in about two thousand and five, and and my lifelong dream was to become an author. Um, I'd always wanted to do that. Like I said, I was, I'm a former journalist, so I think writing is kind of in my blood. 
Um, so I, I just um, one one summer back in 2005, I believe it was. Um, I decided, you know, with all the things that have happened from the time I was five until that moment, hey, let's go ahead and start jotting them down and see what's what. And then that that you know, I'd, I'd write a page or two here, a page or two there, and then it snowballed into this, and I kept adding to it every 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 so often when I could. And then by the time I worked here at my current location, I was having all these crazy experiences here. I added that in there, and then by the time I knew it, I had like. Uh, a full-fledged novel. And where can people find the book, Kevin? Um, they can get my book at Ozark Mountain Publishing. Um, that is my that is, that is my publisher. They're out of Huntsville, Arkansas. They have a very nice website. They can get it off of Amazon.com. They can get it on BarnesandNoble.com and pretty much anywhere you can buy books. Well, Kevin, I want to thank you for sharing your experiences with us and a little bit about your book. And I encourage people to check that out. I'm sure it's a really good read. And uh, you have a happy Halloween. Thank you so much, Diane, for having me. I really appreciate that. Oh, if you could, um, my email address is K-K-I-L-L-E-N, B as in boy, T as in Tom, at gmail.com. And I encourage anyone that wants to speak about uh, drug addiction, ghosts, or whatever they want to go ahead and hit me up on that, and we can have a nice little discourse. Oh, very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. All right. Well, you take care. Thank you so much for having me. You have a great Halloween and a great rest of October. All right. You too. And now we're going to share your guys' personal ghost experiences. Thanks so much for sharing these with us. Here we go. The first one I want to share is from Janae. And you might recall that we had a moment in oddity that was inspired by Janae about her own family. And she had a weird dream that was a follow-up to it. She wrote, Good morning. Thank you for using my great-grandfather's story as the moment in oddity for the Weinkauf Hotel episode. That was very cool. I have a dream story to share from a few days prior to that episode airing that is connected to it. In the dream, I was with my family at home. Not really my family or my house in the dream, but you know how dreams are. I was sitting on the back of the couch watching TV with everyone when I felt a presence behind me. Turning around, I saw a full-bodied apparition of a woman with a high tight bun in a long sleeve black dress with her arms stretched out reaching for me. She looks like something out of a horror movie. Her skin is ashy gray and her face elongated with a gaping hole for a mouth. As she reaches for me, I grab her wrist and bite it. Why? I don't know. I wasn't a biter as a kid, lol. But I could physically feel her skin against mine and the weight of her arm. Anyways, she got really offended. She jerked her arm back and drifts off to the left around in front of me, looking wounded and disappears into the wall. I woke up and looked off to the left to see the wall is in fact my closet. Great. Fast forward to later that next day. I kept thinking about that scary dream. It felt so real. Now, I know you're skeptical of mediums, but I've been talking to dead people my whole life following a near-death experience as a tiny child, so I decided to try to find out who that was in my dream because it was scary as hell, but felt significant. I said my prayer of protection and started to receive information. I heard the name Elizabeth with a lilting sort of accent. 
and I felt a tug on the right side of my body, which to me is a sign that it pertains to the mother's side of the family. So I hopped on Ancestry.com to see if my dad's genealogy research could help me figure out who this woman was. Roy A. Thomas from the Moment Nodity is my mother's grandfather. I discovered that night that his mother was Elizabeth Neal Thomas from Norfolk, England, and in the picture we have of her, which I had never seen before, she has a high tight bun and a long sleeve black dress on. I had no idea. I feel like I have a lot of apologizing to do to my great-great-grandma, but how cool that she came to visit, even if she scared me, a few days before the episode aired with the story about her son. Wow, what a really cool story. And the possibility that your great-great-grandmother visited you in a dream? That's pretty cool, even though you did bite her. (laughs) I guess it's her fault for scaring you, right? I've heard lots and lots of dream experiences where people see people who have passed away. So it is possible that she came to you in your dream. It does make you wonder why, if it had something to do with the fact that we were going to share the story about her son, or if she just popped into your life for some reason. This next story was shared by Mindy. As a daycare preschool teacher for the past 13 years, I've seen my share of paranormal activity at centers. One in particular always remains seared in my mind. About 10 years ago, I was working at this one older daycare downtown off from the old Route 66 in southwest Missouri. It was the first week for me as an infant teacher, and I had just learned of this tragic story involving the death of this one baby that happened at somewhere else other than the daycare. Anyhow, one evening I was by myself closing the classroom down while the other teacher was getting supplies to restock when suddenly one of the baby swings started going off on its own. I know and understand battery-operated equipment and toys can go off from magnetic fields and such, but this was a different kind of vibe. My sixth sense was kicking in as I sensed an eerie vibe and I immediately dropped my mop down onto the floor. I remember running to the swing that set low to the ground and kneeling down to the ground to frantically push the buttons on the side of the swing to make it shut off, but it wouldn't for a while. After what seemed like an eternity, that swing finally stopped on its own accord. I stared at the swing for a few seconds, shook my head, and then proceeded to finish mopping the floor. To my rescue, my coworker came back in with the supplies to restock our room with. As I was putting the mop away, I told my coworker what had just happened. She looked at me kind of sheepishly and sweetly thus proceeded to tell me that Betsy, name changed for privacy reasons, the baby who died before I started working at the place used to sit in that swing quite a bit. She bet that was Betsy's spirit that was making the swing move on its own. I was flabbergasted and completely had forgotten about the deceased baby. I felt my heartstrings tongue at the very thought of that precious and innocent baby. Maybe that was her way of greeting me in my new classroom. Heaven only knows. I have other stories of babies and toddlers with the paranormal, but we'll save them for another time. Well, thanks so much for sharing that with us, Mindy. Next, I have a couple of stories from Stephen. He wrote, years ago, back in 2006, I was working in the ghost town of Bodie, California, which we have covered here on the History Ghost Bump podcast. The first story goes like this. I was staying in a house with another guy, but it was still early yet that year when I arrived, so it was just me and this other guy. He left for the weekend, so it was going to only be me. Anyway, one evening, I lit a fire in the stove and was sitting in front of it since it's cold in the high desert at night. After an hour or so, I decided to go to bed, so I closed the stove flue and climbed into bed. About two or so hours later, I woke up and saw shadows of flames flicking on the wall in the next room. I got up and went into the living room and found that the stove was relit. Well, I figured maybe a log went into the fire and started it up again for some reason. But since I did not want to burn the house down, I took a bucket of water and soaked the entire fire to make sure it was out. I then went back to bed. I woke up 15 or 30 minutes later and the fire was restarted. 
Not only that, but my bed cover smelled like cherry pipe smoke. I sat up the rest of the night, scared stiff. I found out the next morning that the guy who lived in the house in the 1880s or so loved fires on cold nights and loved to smoke cherry-flavored tobacco. So I think he was in the room telling me, leave the fire alone. Stephen, he was just cold, and you kept putting the fire out. I can just see this ghost cursing at you going, dude, it's cold. Leave the fire going already. The second story Stephen shares goes like this. It also occurred in Bodie. My job was in the town museum. I got there at 8 a.m. one hour before the museum gift store opened and would sweep the store, stock the store, and get the cash register ready. As I did this, I would usually listen to the CD player playing some songs. The CD player was located in the storage area, but was set up so it would pipe the music through the store. This one morning, I got to work and went into the back storage area to grab the broom. I turned on a new CD that had never been played and went to the front. As I was sweeping, the music suddenly turned up. I kind of thought, hmm, and walked into the back. It was not loud there, but I figured that maybe it was a part of the song that was loud. So I set the volume a bit lower, turned the song back to start, and went to the front. Now, suddenly the stereo turned up, then down, and then up, and then down. I ran to the back, turned off the stereo, unplugged it, and got on the walkie-talkie calling for a friend to come. He came and sat with me until the gift shop opened. I refused to tell him what had happened. I found out much later from a staff member who lived there year-round that this was common and that the ghost who lived there loved music and that they would often come home late at night in the winter to hear music playing from the locked-up gift shop, which had all electricity turned off in it after Labor Day. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for sharing those stories. I also wanted to let everybody know that he hosts a podcast called Hymn of the Republic, and he'd love for you guys to check that out. Next up, I have a story from Caitlin. So 11 years ago, I'd gone to visit my boyfriend, John, now husband, since he was living in North Carolina and I was in Virginia. I was sleeping in the den and it was the middle of the night. I suddenly woke up to a pitch black room, but could still make out that there appeared to be what looked like an old man in the corner just staring at me. I quickly got up and quietly went into the room where John was sleeping and asked him to come into the den and just sit there with me until I fell asleep. I explained to him what I saw and asked him not to tell his parents because I didn't want them to think I was crazy. The next morning, we were all in the den watching something on TV and drinking coffee. I looked up at their mantle and realized the old man I saw was in a picture. Turns out it was John's grandpa who had died about three years before he and I had met. I quietly told John about this and of course, what does he do? He tells his parents that I saw his dead grandpa. His parents were sweet and just said that grandpa was just checking me out to make sure I was good enough for his grandson. Clearly, Grandpa Joe approved because as of yesterday, 10-6-2019, John and I have been together 11 years. Well, congratulations on your anniversary, and what a wonderful story of Grandpa. Look at all these family members coming to visit. Next, we have Megan, who shared this in the Spooktacular crew. My family and I have been staying with my mother-in-law while we're house hunting, and my one-year-old son, when in his high chair for dinner, often looks down the hall, leading from the kitchen to the den. He waves, babbles, and smiles at seemingly nothing. It really started to creep me out, especially since he only does it when him and I are the only ones in the house. I told my mother-in-law, joking it was freaking me out in the hope she'd laugh too and shrug it off. Instead, she said, oh, he must see the lady in the den. She went on to say her father saw the lady in the middle of the night when he got up for the bathroom, and her TV sometimes turns itself on and off. Needless to say, I did not find our conversation reassuring. I imagine not, Megan. How sweet that your son sees the lady, though. Wes, one of our moderators in the Spooktacular crew, sent this in. 
The Haint of Red House Hill. This is a story about an incident that happened to my grandfather back in the 1930s and has been passed down ever since. Before I tell the story, I will assure you that I am a skeptic and do not believe in the supernatural. With that being said, anyone who knew my grandfather will tell you he was one of the finest and most trustworthy men who'd ever lived. I never recall him telling a lie, saying a negative word about anyone, or even so much as using profanity. While I'm not necessarily saying that I believe the story I'm about to tell you, there's no question in my mind that he believed it. Back in the 1930s, very few people in the Appalachian Mountains of Virginia had electricity or cars, so nearly everyone traveled by way of horseback or horse-drawn wagons. Most folks did their traveling during the daytime, but those who found themselves out after dark had to rely on their vision, and if they were lucky enough to travel on a clear night, the light of the moon. At the time, my grandparents' home was located on a narrow winding dirt road that led from the highway, or what passed as a highway back then, several miles to the river. Running water and indoor plumbing were luxuries most folks didn't have, so those who lived in the area had to make their way several miles down the spooky, twisting road to collect water from the river. The road runs above a creek, and many sections of the road have earned sinister names, such as Dead Man's Curve, where back in the 1920s, a fellow who was walking home drunk strayed too close to the edge of the curve and fell down the cliff into a particularly deep section of the creek. He was knocked unconscious when he fell and therefore drowned in the icy water. Without question, however, the most spooky and creepy part of the road passes through an area called Red House Hill. Supposedly, there was a house painted red at the top of the hill where something terrible happened once. What the house looked like, who lived there, or what terrible event occurred there has since long been lost to time, yet the title remains. Back in the 1930s, rumors started going around that something was haunting the woods around Red House Hill. This thing, or haint as the locals always called it, only appeared at night and spooked horses so that they wouldn't go any further up Red House Hill. Dogs were said to whine and howl in fear and to react as if they could see something that was otherwise invisible. Fear of the haint forced people to avoid Red House Hill, which doubled the time and distance it took them to get to the river. My grandfather, or Papa Clyde as we all called him, was a skeptic much like me, so he didn't pay any mind to haint stories. On one particular night, Papa Clyde was coming home from the river on his horse, Old Tom. Now, Old Tom was the gentlest, most well-trained horse in the countryside, and he always obeyed his rider's commands without hesitation. Darkness had long since fallen, but the moon was full, so Papa could clearly see the road in front of him. To his left, the road dropped down a cliff to the creek, and on his right was a steep bank edged by thick woods. As Papa and Old Tom started up Red House Hill, he could hear the sound of something moving through the woods above the road. He paid it no mind, thinking it was a deer. Old Tom hesitated and didn't want to continue up the hill. Papa urged him on, and Old Tom reluctantly kept walking. After several more steps, Papa suddenly felt something jump on Old Tom's back right behind him. The horse immediately slowed his steps, reacting as if he was suddenly carrying a huge weight and several hundred pounds had been added to his back. Papa could feel something breathing on the back of his neck and smell a combination of wet dog and the putrid scent of decay. Papa immediately looked behind him, but there was nothing there. Whatever the thing or haint was, it was invisible. Yet he could still hear it breathing, felt its hot breath, and smell its stench. Almost sounds like a Bigfoot. Suddenly it felt as if the haint jumped off of Old Tom's back and made its way back up the bank and into the woods. Ninety years later, the old folks still talk in hushed whispers about the haint of Red House Hill. What was it? A demonic entity? The ghost of the man who drowned in Dead Man's Curve? A Native American skinwalker? No one really knows who or what haunts Red House Hill, or if it's still out there somewhere, but everyone will agree on one thing. Never travel up Red House Hill at night, 
the thing might still be waiting. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that, Wes. And if your skeptical grandfather believed it happened, then I'm sure it did. This is a story from Deborah in San Diego. I'm finally taking the time to send in my story for the Halloween show. I worked for a while in a department store that was in my hometown for over 50 years. It was three levels, the main, upper, and basement level. When I began working there, the upper level was only used for storage, and the basement included a sales floor and the stock room. No one liked going to the upper level. It felt creepy. One night, a co-worker and I were in the stock room to bring merchandise upstairs. While waiting for the freight elevator, I heard her let out a gasp, and she said, I'm not kidding. I just saw a shadow pass behind us. The elevator opened, and we hurried inside. The same night as we were all leaving, one of the salesmen that worked downstairs told us, You're not going to believe me, but I saw a customer standing in the aisle, and when I asked if I could help him, he didn't answer but just kept looking straight ahead. I turned around, but when I looked back, he was gone. I wonder if this was our friend from the stockroom. On another night, I was closing up downstairs, and the security sensor in a doorway kept going off. It was located in a small stairway with a heavy door at the top that was closed, so if there had been a person setting off the alarm, I would either have heard the door close or seen them on the stairs. Then there was the night another co-worker and I were cleaning up after closing and one of the interior doors flew open. I looked to see if the security staff was checking the doors, but there was no one there. My co-worker and I looked at each other and I asked, You saw that too, didn't you? Happy Halloween. Maybe next year I'll tell you about my cousin's haunted house. And you know we want to hear about it, Deborah. Thank you for sharing. Pavel shared this with me on Instagram. Hi, Diane. My daughter, many years ago when she was two, she's almost 22 now, used to point to her room and say, a crazy person is in there. But we never paid attention to her, and she repeated that many times. One day I was in the shower, and I heard that someone whispered, have you finished? Since we shared the apartment with our friend, I thought my wife or her wanted to use the bathroom. I'd finished and went to my room where my wife and our roommate were watching TV. My daughter was sleeping in my bed. I asked them who wants to use the bathroom, and they looked at me in a strange way and said unanimously, no one has been around the bathroom for a while. So it was a bit awkward moment. It was around 11 p.m. So our friend said, you know, I have some holy water in my room. Let's sprinkle it around the apartment. So she sprinkled her room, my room, and then she went to my daughter's room, the crazy person room. She came running back to my room yelling, it's there. I got chills at that point. I didn't know what to think, and I stormed to my daughter's room. It was dark and I couldn't see anything, but I literally felt like something hit me in the abdomen and went through me. It was cold and disgusting. I turned around in slow motion and went back to my room. My wife and roommate were talking to me, but all I could see was moving mouths. I still can't describe the feeling after 20 years. Meanwhile, my wife told me that I was beyond pale and basically unresponsive. After a few minutes, I regained my senses and told them, we need to leave now. They agreed with me. We grabbed a few things and started making our way out of the apartment. That's when I saw a figure that was grayish and dirty standing by the exit door. I thought, I'm losing my mind. And that very precise moment, my friend told me in Russian, my wife doesn't speak Russian, there's something standing by the door. At that moment, I thought, thank God I'm not crazy. But at the same time, we were going toward the only exit, and that thing was standing right by the door. I told them, I'll open the door, and all of you run. When I got closer... Honestly speaking, I didn't even want to look in that direction where that apparition was standing by. I didn't want to look, but in a split second, my eyes focused on it. It was like a person, gray, long hair, looking down like it did something wrong. When I got closer to open the door, I couldn't perceive evil. It was a feeling of pain. I can't really describe it. We ran away from that apartment. My wife never came back to that place, 
and I came back with some friends from college to remove our stuff. I never knew what happened that night. My daughter never again has said anything about a crazy man. What a creepy apartment. Good thing you got out of there. I wonder if people who moved in after you had weird experiences too. Sounds like a very creepy apparition that you saw. Then I heard this from Veronica. I just finished your episode on Jackson Square. I'm a huge nolophile. I used to visit at least three times a year and loved hearing some more details of the history of that specific spot. I'm writing to share an experience I had, nothing crazy. I didn't see anything or get touched, but it affected me in a deep way and is something I will truly never forget. A parent of a friend of mine is lucky enough to have an apartment in one of the beautiful historic French Quarter buildings. During one of our visits, we met up and she invited us to come take a look at the space since she was in the midst of renovating and we were very curious to see the inside of one of those incredible buildings. She took us through the three stories, quite an apartment, and we marveled at the incredible architecture and what had already been completed. We should show you where we're sleeping, since none of the bedrooms had yet been completed. She opened a door off of the main living room and we walked down an open outdoor corridor that so many of those buildings have. It overlooks an incredible courtyard, which if you visit again is home to an incredible restaurant called Cafe Amelie, but I'm getting sidetracked here. And then we came upon a smallish door. Inside were two cement steps that led to a very narrow and plain room. The wood floor was gapped and obviously quite old, and the walls were unfinished with only a wash of white paint on the cement. There were no windows or any other doors in the room, and the light was very low and the air quite thick. Immediately, I felt a heaviness come over me. Something like a feeling of sadness filled my heart, and I went from chatting with my friend to being suddenly speechless. I just felt hopeless. We exited the room, and as they shut the door, my friend's mother remarked, So that was where the slaves would have lived back in the day. I got chills down my back and my hair literally stood on end. The feelings went away as soon as we exited. While I've always been fascinated by the paranormal and visited many haunted places, I've never sensed anything. Maybe it was the general look of the room that caused me to feel this way, but it was such an immediate and significant shift. I feel like the only explanation is that the energy of those kept in bondage is still there and will always be. I have read a couple of New Orleans ghost books since then that remark on the fact that the city has so much tragic history, the energy is palpable. It definitely was for me that day. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Veronica. Kay wrote, So a freaky thing happened today, July 7th, 2019 at Port Hudson. I pulled off into a picnic area. I thought it was a trailhead. And as I started up the trail, I heard a dog start barking and saw someone in the picnic shelter. I should mention there was an old, maybe 90s red wannabe sports car in the parking lot. Anyways, as I got closer, I asked the guy, hey, I'm not sure where I'm at. Is this the trail to Fort Desperate? He kind of mumbles and doesn't answer. And as I was walking closer, I see bags and stuff on the table. Like for a picnic, the guy's dressed kind of oddly dated, kind of floral short sleeve collared shirt, shorts and closed toe shoes. And he's sitting on the table with his feet on the bench. His face was generic, like how you describe a person to someone who's never seen a person and his mannerisms and reactions were strange. Basically, everything about him was kind of dated like the 90s and very generic. This whole time, I'd been having a weird feeling too, but not anything as strong as I felt before. Not an immediately get-out sensation. However, when I got to the picnic shelter, the dog was barking. But I asked if he was friendly and should I say hi. The man again barely responded and then I saw the dog, quote-unquote, if you can call it that. It had the head of a weasel attached to the body of a Pomeranian, but the coat was yellow, short, and wiry, but somehow still puffy like a Pomeranian. It was the freakiest thing I'd ever seen in my life. It was like a bad rendering. As I saw the dog, the man asked, I just realized his voice was wrong, not exactly human, if I was from there. Where did I come from? 
At that point, the almost trance-like state that I appeared to be in kind of snapped and I bolted back to my car and drove like hell to get off the property before he could follow me. So what in the world was that? I mean, it's interesting that she described it as a bad rendering, as if this was some kind of alien trying to look like a human. If nothing else, it's probably a good thing you didn't pet that dog because it doesn't sound like it was a normal dog to me. Thanks for sharing, Kay. Kara writes, anyways, I have a story for you. About six years ago when I was 21, my mom wanted to move and build a new house, one that she loved. We picked everything out except for the paint for the walls. Then something unexpected happened. She went into the hospital and had to go through so many surgeries and was put on a ventilator. It was the most horrible thing I'd ever been through. Anyway, they'd started on the house after she went into the hospital. She ended up dying seven weeks after being admitted into the hospital. So we sold our house and moved into the new house. About a year or so after being there, I was in my room playing Minecraft. Yes, Minecraft. I know it's stupid, but my niece got me into it. LOL. So I told my dad to come up to see what I was building, and I went back to playing, and all of a sudden I hear a music box going off. It lasted for a good five to seven seconds. It sounded like it was coming from behind my TV, and the music on Minecraft does not sound like this at all. I was too scared to get up, so I kept playing and waited for my dad to come up. When he did, I asked him to look behind my TV and see if there was a music box there, and he said no. So I had three different music boxes in the room at the time. So I got up and played every single one, and none of them had the same tune as what I heard. And if it was a music box that just had a little left to play at the end or something, it would have played slow and come to a stop. This one played as if someone had wound it up a little, and it played strong, then just stopped. And I've never heard it again. It was an odd experience. Not sure if it was my mom or not, but she loved music boxes. Well, Kara, I have no doubt that that could have been your mother sending you a message, and clearly she was playing a music box of her own making, not one that you already had. And I know exactly what you're describing. I think most people do. Usually a music box, as it's getting ready to be done playing, winds down to a little ting, 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 ting. But you're talking about it was going do-do-do-do-do and just stopped, which is very weird for a music box to do that. Karen shares these stories. These are not ghost creepy stories. They're really special and personal experiences. The first one happened to my oldest daughter when she was about five years old. I was a young stay-at-home mom. We lived in Lewiston, Utah at the time. We didn't have a lot to do and we liked to go for walks. Just so happened that we lived across from the cemetery. What a great place to live. I love to walk through the cemetery and read the headstones and I let the girls get some exercise. One day, my oldest daughter, Chandy, was running ahead of me far enough that I could not keep up with her because I had my baby in the stroller that I was pushing. The girls were running and laughing and just having fun. They were out of earshot. Then I noticed it, an open grave. It had just been dug. I was assuming for a funeral the next day, and my little girl was running straight toward it. You have to understand, it was a very small town, and it wasn't unusual for the city to prepare the grave the day before a burial and leave it open like that, but I didn't see it in time, and Chandy was running straight for it. I was yelling at her to stop. She got right to the edge of the grave and suddenly stopped. Then she turned and ran into my arms. I was so relieved that she'd been able to stop before falling in. I asked her how she was able to stop so quickly because she didn't hear me yelling at her and she was running so fast. She said something stopped her. She said something stopped her. She felt pressure on her chest to hold her up and kept her from falling in. I'm sure grateful to whoever protected her that day when I couldn't. Wow, was it a spirit that was in the cemetery or was it a guardian angel? 
My second story happened to the youngest of my five daughters. This happened in 2013 while she was serving a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the Philippines. On occasion, her and her mission companion had to use public transportation when it was too far to walk. So on this particular day, they were in a jeepney. The traffic can be a little crazy over there. My daughter was turned around thinking the jeepney was dropping them off on the side of the road, but it was hard for them to see out of the doors, and they were actually facing the middle of the road when she exited. She got off and stepped out into the path of another very fast oncoming jeepney. She said as she stepped forward, an unseen force slammed her back against the jeepney that she had just exited. Her companion was standing on the steps, gasping in horror, thinking she was going to watch her be run down. Her companion started to cry and asked her who had pushed her out of the way with such force as there was no one else there. Once again, I was very grateful for whoever was watching over my daughter and kept her from harm. Again, do we have a guardian angel here? Thanks for sharing those, Karen. And finally, we have this story from Rebecca that she shared in the Spooktacular crew. And I saved this one for last because I absolutely loved it. It happened very recently, just last week, as a matter of fact. Rebecca wrote, Tonight, my boyfriend and a friend of ours went on the paranormal investigation tour of Bellevue Hall, a former DuPont estate in Wilmington, Delaware. We were in the basement using dowsing rods, which you probably know are used with yes or no questions. After a few people asked questions of the spirits, my friend asked, are there any children here? The rods crossed, indicating yes, and then turned to point across the room at me and my not yet showing pregnant belly. I thought that was the most amazing story. Thank you for sharing that, Rebecca, and congratulations on your pregnancy. Well, I hope you guys liked those scary stories. Remember, you can send them all year long. I will share them throughout the year. That's what I like to do at the end of the show. Share your personal unexplained experiences. Quite amazing. Also, if you guys have some suggestions of some haunted locations you'd like to hear about, make sure you keep those coming in as well. I do have a long list, but I'll always take your suggestions. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us on this Halloween special for 2019. We've had a ton of fun. Thanks so much for joining me, Kelly. It's been so much fun hanging out. I always love joining in for the podcast and going over stuff with the spooky crew. And Halloween, of course, is the best time of year. So absolutely. And of course, we've got Mort over here. Do you have anything to say to the listeners, Mort? Happy Halloween, my spooky family. Boo. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys have a very safe and happy Halloween. I've been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. Bye.